0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. After talking to a lot of my guy friends and girlfriends and talking to you guys, I have heard that dating is a real bitch. I'm like happy I'm married because it seems so complex now. And so when this company Match approached us, I was like, this is so on brand because right now there's so much swiping and mindless consumption when it comes to dating, but Match is for emotionally mature adults. How about that, guys? Emotionally mature adults. Thank God that there's an app like this. I mean, if I was dating, this is the app that I would be using. I would want a confident, mature partner who is emotionally mature. I'm sure a lot of you do too. So you got to check out the Match Dating app, okay? They are really, really about finding people who aren't going to ghost you, okay? They want people who are getting eight hours of sleep, love open and honest communication. They also want people who know Mescal isn't a personality trait. Like Mescal can can be a part of your like ether, but like let's not make it a personality trait on your dating app, you know? Um, I just think it's about people that have their shit together. So if you're looking to date and you want to date someone who's actually mature, I would highly recommend that you check out Match Dating App, okay? You should also know this is a little fun fact for you. Pre-pandemic, being attractive was number one, and now it's all the way down to number eight. So if you're out there and you're listening, emotional maturity is attractive. Are you guys ready for something more? If you know what you want and you're not afraid to say it, download Match. And now messaging your top matches is free. Check out Match.
1: she's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire fantastic and he's a serial entrepreneur a very smart cookie and now lauren everts and michael bostic are bringing you along for the ride get ready
0: for some major realness
1: welcome to the skinny confidential
2: him and her uh-huh.
3: it's certain like I, I can certainly feel that i have a a harder time relating with a lot of people just due to the way that I've shaped my life and the way that my life is rolled out. I think exactly like you said, the road to you know enlightenment is not gonna happen at you know a perfect 75 degree house with Postmates at your fingertips and porn at the click of a finger and all these instant gratifications and, and convenience left and right. I think it's a direct re- reflection of kind of where our society is at right now.
2: I was just tired of being like lowest on the totem pole, right? So like it was it was just not a great feeling to show up every day and not be doing something that I truly enjoyed or that I was super passionate about. So for me content creating and so this was my chance to show up for myself, do something good and change my lifestyle.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Skinny Confidential Him and Her Show. I am not going to lie to you. Right now, I am sitting in a bathroom in Switzerland because I still have not been able to get back to the United States. Or I guess we have not been able to get back to the United States. Thought we'd be coming back a little bit earlier, but honestly, it's just, it's been a little bit of a shit show. I don't have to tell you guys that. It's a little bit of a shit show with travel these days. So I am currently in a bathroom alone, hence the echo. Hopefully you don't hear it on a small recorder doing an intro because we weren't responsible enough to do the intro before we left on our trip and thought we'd be back by now to do it. So here I am, trying not to wake up the baby and my wife. What time is it here in Switzerland? 11.44. Regardless, we have, and it's 11.44 p.m. I guess it's not that late. Also, I've had a couple Negronis and shared a bottle of wine. And I may have had a shot. But anyways, that's all. That's not the point of this. Let me introduce this show. Today, we have a dynamic duo. Rami Shizuka and Nathan Pontius on this show. This is a, like I said, a dynamic duo. They have built an incredible brand, most recently moving to Austin, Texas, where we interviewed them all about their business homebodies. And I got to say, this episode is near and dear to our hearts. I found them to be incredible. I found them to be great guests. Nathan, I think this was his first time ever being interviewed. It may have been Rami's too, but I know know, she's really put herself out there for a while as an influencer. So she's been in the public eye. But I think for Nathan, this might be the first time he's ever done it. interview. And let me tell you, this is an incredible story. He is a former Marine. He has such a dynamic background. Every time we started to peel back one layer with this guy, something else popped up. And I'm not even going to ruin it for you guys. It's just, it's an incredible story. I think that more of these stories with the people that have served our country need to be showcased. They're very important stories. The people that put themselves out there to defend this country, some of these stories just don't get showcased enough. So using this platform to showcase more and more of these stories is, you know, super important to me. It's near and dear to Lauren and I's heart. And it's just an incredible story. Also, Ramey and him, what they've done together, with this brand is incredible, so I think there's inspiration out there for anyone that's looking to work with their significant other, and th- these guys have just really built an incredible brand, two very powerful people, great people, humble people down to earth, and we just could not be more proud to share this story. So with that, Ramy, Nate, welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show, and guys, I'm sorry if I butchered this intro, I'm not going to lie, I'm three sheets to the wind. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. What's the the
4: technique? Right. Stick and poke. Yeah, is that what they are? No. Okay, I love that though. But
2: he's drawn every single one of them.
3: Oh, really cool. Really cool. Wow.
1: Yeah, I gotta God. find a new person out here because he's is just impossible to go
3: see him now. I should probably find one too. Let's we can go and like let's let's do, do the buddy system. In maybe maybe we just buy our own gun and start sticking yeah, yeah, yeah. each other. I
1: like... trust you more to do me <laughs> than I think. Like, I wouldn't trust me to do. Uh, your you tattoo.
4: trust him to do you? Okay. Yeah. Are we recording? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, we are. Okay. I just want to first apologize because I-, I figured I would just tell you guys this on air. I have an extension that's popping out of my head, but I feel like it's on brand for Austin because no one gives a fuck. The extension's hanging off.
1: I told her yesterday, I was like, that thing's trying to escape I your kind of saw it
4: in the corner of Oh, my it's, eye. Bad. it's bad. It's bad. It feels like a wrap. But it
2: almost gives you the volume at the top oh. that... You want, <laughs>
4: I have to fly someone out to LA to help
1: me. You mean to, to Texas?
4: To that's Texas. How I
2: feel about my eyelash extensions. I got to go to LA to get them done.
4: Yes, there's there's certain little things in LA that you have, but Austin overall is amazing. But but I'm just saying, this podcast, you're going to have to stare at this extension hanging me. off my head. So I'm sorry. We can deal with it. We got that out of the way. Yeah.
1: I can't really deal with it, but you know. <laughs> Close your eyes. Thing. You're going
4: blind, you told me this morning. So that's yeah. perfect for me. You're nearsighted. I'd love for you to go blind. <laughs> okay. I want to give the audience some context and you guys both have such different stories. Okay. So I want to start with Nate. Remy's going to go after at her request. Nate, tell us how you grew up. I feel like there's a lot to unpack. You were in the Marines. Give us a little context and history.
3: Yeah. So I grew up in a small rural town in, in Illinois. My parents were divorced. My my old man kind of had me grow up real quick, living on a farm.
1: Where where in where in Illinois? The only reason I asked is my dad grew up in a small town in Illinois called Marshall, which is
3: Marshall. Well, I'm in Central Illinois. I'm familiar with Marshall. I used to run track there, so I was in Effingham, Illinois. Okay, just cornfields, cows, farms, river bottoms, whole lot of whole lot of nothing really. Growing up, going through school, I got really terrible, terrible grades. I was not very smart at all, and I only had two, two desires of professions that I wanted to do. You know, most kids want to be like a doctor, astronaut. They have all these big aspirations. I, at first I wanted to be a a rodeo clown, a bullfighter. I don't know why, but after 9-11 and seeing that I was in like third grade, I just, from that day on, I decided that I wanted to go to war. I didn't know what that entailed, but literally from the third grade all the way till I graduated, that's all I wanted to do. And the, the fastest track to that was the Marine Corps. So I enlisted in the Marine Corps immediately out of high school and went straight off to boot camp.
4: What is boot camp like?
3: Boot camp is, it's a spiritual experience. It's a psychological, like, ch- change of the makeup of who you are as a human being. essentially. They need to take who you are as a civilian, as you are as a human being, and they need to turn you into a- exactly what is gonna behave in the manner in which a human needs to behave in, in combat. So your entire, your entire life is kind of thrown in a jumble to kind of rewire your brain. There's a, there's a terminology, a jarhead. They call Marines jarheads, and there's a reason.
2: They like wipe you clean and start you in a fresh slate and build you up to like
3: kill. If you
4: could go back and pinpoint some things that you did in boot camp to really give the audience context of what it looks like. Are they making you stay up at night? Are they making you wake up at weird hours? Are you swimming through weird situations? Like what does it actually look like from a micro level?
3: It's mass chaos and it's behavioral. You're instilling all of the quick response behaviors, taking any thought processes, any thought processes that need to go into super intricate details, all of the thought processes go out the door. So all you need to know how to do is behave, act really, really quickly. Everything is done with violence of action and it's, it's done. Everything is micromanaged. Your entire life is completely micromanaged so that you can completely, I guess, rebuild yourself. Like as a recruit, you, have essentially lost your, your individuality. You are no longer I, me. You cannot refer to yourself as such. You are this recruit. This recruit requests permission to do whatever. You, you've lost your individuality. And it's not until you you know pass the crucible and you become a Marine that you are no longer this recruit. You have earned something. You've earned that title and you take that on with you you've you've developed into exactly what you're supposed to be
1: let me ask you this when you so you're a kid obviously and you want to and you you put being a marine or going into the military on a pedestal and you think it's going to bring certain things when you get there are any of those notions disavowed or are there anything that you thought was going to be something and then it obviously turned into something else or is it like hey this is exactly what i was looking for and this is exactly what i thought it would be you
3: know that's a really good question you can really put that spotlight on the going to combat and doing doing what marines do but you miss you you miss the whole process of of becoming the marine all of the all of the challenges and obstacles that come with the like the mentality that's developed you really you really develop your your body and mind really and that was was a really big challenge for me and I mean I kind of have to give a little context into that too because like when I went to boot camp, I was terribly, terribly underweight. I was totally uncoordinated. I couldn't make any sports teams. So I wasn't exactly, I guess, what I am now. This is like 10 or 12 years in the in the making. I was like completely the opposite. I could, I could have barely do five pull-ups when I first got in. And, and so wow. it's like just that constant repetition and that that body-mind connection that's that's being built through that.
1: Yeah, your story is a little different because you there's, and, and I've heard b- versions of this, but some people go into the, let's say the military or the Marine Corps and they're like preparing for it, right? They're in track. They're going, yeah. they're, they're doing pull-ups, push-ups, like doing everything to get their body. But it sounds like you kind of just got thrown into it, even though you want and you, maybe you weren't anticipating the physical toll it would
3: take. I mean, I, I did, I did anticipate that. And I actually had quite lofty goals. Like not only did I just want to go into the Marines, I thought I wanted to be, recon which is the special mm-hmm. forces they're the baddest dudes that's what i thought i wanted to do so i needed to be able to get a perfect score in the physical aspects and everything which meant i had needed to do 20 pull-ups so i needed to get from a point of only being able to do 5 pull-ups to a point of hitting 20 pull-ups in 3 months and so it was a lot of repetition also the fact that i was terribly underweight i had to eat i was what was referred to as a double rat whenever we went through the chow hall so i'd get double rations of food so I was eating two times the amount of people because I needed to you know
1: they did this to put some weight on you
3: right I needed to gain some weight gain muscle get stronger because just the what what is expected of you? you need to be able to carry a lot of weight you need to be physically and mentally tough so I guess it wasn't really the fact that I wasn't prepared or I wasn't preparing I was I actually I tried really hard in sports I just sucked I was terribly unathletic. I was not strong. All the other kids, you know, they were developing muscles and developing facial hair and they were faster and bigger and stronger. It didn't matter what I did. I'd run and try really hard. I'd try to lift weights. I sucked.
4: I want to know as someone that doesn't know a lot about the boot camp though, like what a day in a life was. Mm. Are you waking up at four? Are you getting yelled at as you wake up? Okay. Can you brush your teeth? Do they tell you what to wear? Are you going to breakfast first or do you go for a run? What's the whole day?
3: Okay, I can break it down. Totally. Wake up is pure chaos. It's pure chaos. It's about five or six drill instructors running through the squad base, screaming, banging on trash cans, making as much noise, creating as much chaos as you can. They start everything. Every single thing that you do is counted down backwards. They count really, really fast. It's and. By the time they get to zero you need to be done doing whatever you're doing or you're gonna get slayed i mean essentially what slayed means is like you're gonna hit the deck you're gonna be doing burpees push-ups mountain climbers until they decide that you've had enough so you know they create a bunch of chaos to wake you up you need to get at the front of your of your beds and you have a battle buddy that you share your bed with you need to be standing in attention so everybody's in in their underwear And we're all starting together. It creates this uniform, perfect line. And then these drill instructors, they will count you down and they'll tell you, okay, put on your right sock. You have 10 seconds. They start counting 10 seconds, put on your right sock. Now take your right sock off, put on your blouse, put on your blouse. You got 10 seconds, put on your blouse. Take, Take your blouse off, lay back down in bed, get back up, get online. And then, so it's just all of this weird stuff, trying to kind of create frustration but also like I said it's it's totally rewiring you so that you're just you're waiting on commands and you're executing every single thing so you know they would kind of play those games and kind of try to get you a little flustered so by the time you actually do get dressed you go in a straight line together and about 60 guys will share about 15 sinks to and you'd you'd get maybe two minutes being counted down to shave your face and brush your teeth, and pee, whatever you need to do. You need to figure it out. You what need if to,
4: someone has to take like a fat shit?
3: There would there'd be guys sitting on the toilet while somebody was peeing between their legs and stuff. No. This is, this is actually kind of funny because this is created. It's a weird dynamic that we have at home. So if I'm like standing there brushing my teeth or I'm getting something out of the fridge and, and she, sneak
2: behind she him, sneaks in,
3: I'm like, just like don't come in my space because I've, kind of, I've been in that environment where you're shoulder checking dudes trying to like get your face shaved or brush your teeth or something like that. So I'm just kind of like.
4: Hold yeah. on. Let me, let me <laughs> paint this visual. So someone's on the toilet taking a shit and someone's peeing through their legs.
1: That sounds yeah. kind of efficient. Let's try that at home. <laughs> no, we're yeah. not
4: going to try that at home.
1: You can try that with your friends. I'm all about saving time, Lauren.
4: <laughs> so then when you guys get ready, then what is
3: it like? So then, you know, we'd go outside, we'd march. Marching was a huge thing. And again, just drilling repetition. They would march us to the chow hall where we eat breakfast. Before you ever eat, you're always doing max sets of push-ups or pull-ups, which is kind of how I was able to develop some strength. Every single time that you eat, you do a max set of pull-ups and push-ups. And then again, after you get done, you revisit those same pull-up bars, just your entire day, every single day for three months, you have these like three to five drill instructors who are reshaping who you are as a human being, marching you around, teaching you everything that you need to know to become an efficient Marine so that you can execute the job. That you're what
4: time do you go to bed? Right now? No, when, when you were in boot camp.
3: Uh, Like 8.30 or 9. And then Reveille would be at like, 4.30 or 5.
4: So you're not having like a nighttime more routine and like a morning routine. Well, if, you, no. if
1: you think about it like this, like obviously they're taking all sorts of different people from different walks of life and they're trying to make them into this fighting machine that's a unit and tell me if I'm wrong, but if you're in a battle situation or on a battlefield and there's a chain of command, it's that... That unit effectively or performing effectively is dependent on everybody being able to follow that chain of command and be on the same page. And if you have people that aren't there or aren't following that chain of command or those rules, like it could put everybody in jeopardy, right? So you kind of need to, this is, it sounds like it's a proving ground to make sure that everybody could work as a unit effectively. If you have people doing their own thing, then the whole thing breaks
3: down. Definitely. You have to be a cohesive group and then they'll even do, you know, certain drills to, isolate that one oddball so the one oddball the weak guy nobody wants to be the weak link if you're the weak link you get people killed and so they'll they'll put the spotlight on them and the like there's there's no like oh one person messed up so he's going to get the consequences no if one guy messes up everybody messes up and everybody pays for it so then it kind of creates this motivation this drive for that for the fuck up to not screw things up because he doesn't want to make the whole platoon or the whole squad pay for his mistakes. Yeah.
4: I have a question that I've always wondered. When you get that many men together and there's no women, are are people like jacking off in the bathroom or are they like... <laughs> this is what you wonder? No, I, I actually do wonder this. Or are they like, are they missing women? Like what what are men doing without any women around? Like how are they like releasing for lack of a better word.
3: I mean, honestly, I, I was so goddamn tired every time. Yeah. I would just be falling asleep. I'm sure that does happen. It does happen like in the fleet, like after boot camp, whenever you get to your fleet units and everything, it absolutely happens. But also it kind of, women are, they're, they're a distraction. Right. They're also a perfect motivation. So what do you want from your young guys that you're going to be sending to combat? You're going to want them, you know, testosterone raging. You want them like a kind of like a caged up, pitbull you don't want them satisfied and you want them kind of pent up ready to go get whatever you're going to you know lay out in front of them whatever the mission is and if they're if they're fat happy satisfied they're they're getting the rocks off they got no eagerness to go out and be violent
4: so it's not like you guys are going out to the strip club or like to, no, there's no there, women
3: there's no contact like well, well not, there's you're, women. You're,
4: there's women in in the you're right.
1: Own, you're on base, right <laughs> during training.
4: Is there women in the mar- Marines? Sure,
3: but yeah, but women and men do not go to boot camp together. Got it.
4: Okay, that's what, that was my question. And I mean,
3: I mean, even in the fleet, I know from being in the infantry, like where I was stationed, there were no females where I was. So like other Marines that have other jobs, like admin or whatever, sure they work with. They work with women, which they also have a lot of problems because of women and men working together. Infantry platoons, there are no women.
1: So let, let's let, give me some context here. So what, what year is this? Just obviously, it's post 9-11 because that was the catalyst, third grade. So how old were you then? Maybe you're like, what, eight or nine, 10?
3: Yeah, I was like, yeah, like
1: 10, maybe 11. Okay, so what year was this that, you, that you're in boot camp?
3: So I went to boot camp right at 18, and I served from 2000 and. 9 to 2014.
1: Okay. So this is during the heat Afghanistan. Yep. Okay. And let's fast track a little bit. So you finished boot camp and where do you do you get deployed right away or
3: so I spent a good majority of my time deployed at so whenever I went through boot camp, I did have a high school sweetheart and I was kind of in a relationship that ended during a one deployment and then because that ended i kind of went off a a spiral and i spent all my time just chasing deployments so i spent all my time either deploying to the middle east or going to africa australia japan
1: and do you have any say in where you get to play like can you put yourself in for certain places or is it just dependent on where the core needs to
3: i wouldn't say that you have say it's kind of where you're where you're needed but you can also you can be a unmotivated shitbag, as we'll call it if somebody wants to like go and get married and get really comfortable and live with their wife on base and you know pull duties where they just like stand fire watch somewhere they, they could absolutely do that or you can kind of be a hustler and a go-getter and push to do certain things i wouldn't say
1: but you go straight grunt de- deployed right were out you of scared
4: camp
3: scared no i mean it's kind of whenever you create that that brotherhood there's not really so much scaredness yeah. about it you're you're literally just executing and i guess that's just kind of what boot camp is meant for so we we took the we took the emotions the thinking out of it and all it is is action and behaving so there's not really they they try to take it where you're not thinking so much and you're not feeling you're just doing you're just behaving
0: Currently, I am in Switzerland and the altitude is a bitch. But I don't get altitude sickness anymore, and that is because of my chlorophyll drops. I'm just saying, I've been talking about chlorophyll drops since the blog launched. I feel like it's been like 12 years. You gotta try chlorophyll drops if you haven't tried them. I like to put them in my water in the morning, it's so easy. And what I do is I do tons of lemon, ice, chlorophyll drops. You can add mint, you can add ginger, sex it up, do whatever. And then in this situation that I buy from Saqqara Life, I also get the beauty drops. So they have chlorophyll drops and beauty drops and the beauty drops are these minerals. So you get both your drops in this little packet. I have talked about Saqqara Life so much on this podcast. In fact, I love them so much that I interviewed the founders on here. You have to listen to that episode. It's really good. But basically what's Sakara's mission is it's to help you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle, but enjoy it. You can get food delivered straight to your door. I think that it is probably the healthiest delivery service I have ever seen. And the menu changes. And in each one of their meals, you get this nutrient dense meal or snack or breakfast or whatever it is that actually nourishes your body. So if you're going to go on the site, I definitely, definitely would recommend the chlorophyll drops if you're in altitude, but also just in the morning, it gives you energy and boosts the immune system. And then while you're there, definitely get the beauty drops because it's minerals and we could all use minerals like potassium and sodium in the morning. And then if you're looking for some chef crafted breakfasts, lunches, dinners, meals, whatever, you got to check out their plant-based ingredient meals. They're so delicious and they're all about getting your skin glowing and curbing your sugar cravings. So go on their site, check it out. They have rave reviews from everyone from Vogue to Goop to the New York Times, et cetera, et cetera. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to saqqara.com slash skinny or enter code skinny at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash skinny to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash skinny. for someone
4: that doesn't know a lot about war when you say you're you go to war what does that look like like and this i really don't know much about it do you go over do they put you in a hotel room are you in a tent
2: i have these same Michael, questions
4: i i don't i i think yeah. people are actually curious you know michael's looking at me like i should know all this i don't know a lot about it i would like to know more well i'm willing to look stupid for everyone that doesn't know
3: Okay. <laughs> so, it's, it's so the, I mean,
4: I know it's not the Bel Air Hotel. Like, right. I'm just saying, is it like... I, I want to know more no, about they don't the check. They don't
1: check you into the, like, the, the four seasons to go off...
4: I understand that, but I just mean... Do they go to a the hotel, my hotel neck, and then go... The reason
1: my neck almost snapped is like, what do you think? There's like a hospitality group over there ready to go? They're, I, I want
4: to know what the specifics are.
3: Okay, so... You know there's obviously a workup process you can't just take people and just you know flop them into it so there's obviously a lot of schooling and training that goes into it first you go through a school of infantry where you become proficient in all weapons tactics, patrolling everything that goes with with combat from there then you go to your your fleet unit you train some more and then you do what's called a workup 29 palms California the you know the bane of existence it's a total shithole also where I was born because my Old man was a Marine, so.
1: I was going to ask if you had family.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So you go out there for a workup and essentially you live in a simulated environment. So they basically construct these big buildings. They, everything looks, it it resembles like Afghanistan or Iraq, whatever. They hire role players. So they hire like Afghanis and people to come out. And like, so what you do is you conduct patrolling missions. Like they're, they're make-believe missions, if you will. You go out, you do training. You have these afghani people as role players they're kind of emulating what it's like in the environment it's nothing but like pashto arabic signs everywhere and so you're out there living for i think it's like 10 weeks you do a full training cycle and then they let you come home just long enough so you can like kind of do your goodbyes spend some time with your with your family and get your stuff ready because then you're about to deploy for about an entire year and then so after you've completely familiarized yourself with the environment that you're about to get into, then you you hop your flight on over and they have like one established uh, base, like a pretty big city, it's called Leatherneck. It's been getting kind of built up for years and years and years. Cause I mean, hell, we've been in this war for since I can ever freaking remember. So this city has been being built up like crazy. There's army, air force, there's military from all other countries there too as well. So that big base is, it's very accommodating, if you will. There's like running water. There's like a gym. Hell, I think there's like a McDonald's and stuff. It's like, it's, it's not what you would think actual war is. So that's just like where you first stop. Then from there, you'll take your trucks out and you'll find like patrol bases, wherever your unit is getting stationed and whatever that particular mission is. So that's where the real- action goes down so you go out and you, you set up patrol bases and like in in our instances we were doing combined missions with the afghan national army because essentially i guess our goal was to kind of get out of there at some point so we needed to make sure that the afghan national army would want to take over and fight for their country and do something so we were training alongside with them and just living in dirt holes and living in these they're called fobs forward operating bases and it was a very tight-knit like intricate group of guys so it was like just my squad like 10 of us and then like 10 afghan national army just you know kind of slumming it and, and patrolling every day
4: and at what point did you come back and at what point did you decide that you wanted to transition to do something else what did that look like
3: well, I knew that I wanted to serve the country and after my, you know, 4 5 years of that was up, I only signed one enlistments. So whenever you enlist, you sign a contract where you the government owns you for 4 or 5 years, whatever. So I'd done all my deployments and I'd done what I wanted to do. I thought I was ready to be a civilian. I actually didn't have much of a transition phase from the military because I was kind of getting led on that I was going to go and be a combat instructor. Normally guys get about 30 days to start they, they like put you in classes and stuff they give you like a career planner or whatever they're going to like help you outline steps that like you need to like
1: reacclimate you back to civilian life right
3: and like psychiatrists psychiatrists like talk to you and stuff but I was kind of getting let on that I was going to continue being in and then it kind of happened abruptly they're like oh actually by the way we're not sending you anymore you've got eight days turn in all your gear here's your paperwork congratulations you're a civilian now and I guess kind of like we established like boot camp completely rewires you fall into this routine and like being in the military like that and especially so fresh off a of combat deployment it's kind of an abrupt change it's like becoming a civilian you think you're like oh yeah this is gonna be awesome but then you become a civilian you're like man your your entire life kind of like changes because
1: you we, contextualize it a little bit because I know yeah. there's, there's probably a, there's a lot of people that are listening myself included that can probably never contextualize what combat experience is like and then going from that back to this life is probably such a difficult transition.
4: It's not talked enough about. It's almost like when people get out of jail too, the same kind of thing, or even like, this is like a different example, but when someone has a baby, everyone's focused on the baby. They're not focused on how the mother feels in the transition of becoming a mother. I would love to hear more about the transitional period.
3: Yeah. So you, I mean, you, you essentially, you go from you, you go from having a lifestyle where somebody tells you exactly what time you're going to eat, exactly what you're going to wear, where you're going, why you're going there, how long you're going to be there, and then you get out and you're like, I can make all these own decisions, like my own decisions. I can dress myself however way I want. I need to like figure out how I'm going to eat. I have to figure out how I'm going to structure my day, how I'm going to structure my life. And I mean, a lot of guys, I feel struggle with that transition because they, they don't know what to what to turn to I mean I guess kind of myself included I I had quite a rocky quite a rocky transition where I'm from that rural town in Illinois but I was stationed at Camp Pendleton in California I had established somewhere along the lines in the military kind of like a passion and a drive for for fitness kind of like after experiencing the the having the the combat experience I experienced how crucial it was being you know, fit, being able to utilize my body in, in a manner that was going to keep me alive, I guess. And so, I thought I wanted to do something in health and fitness. I'd, I'd gotten a few certifications. I did not want to go back to Illinois in a farm. So, I knew there was a lot of fit people in Los Angeles. So, I threw a sea bag in my car and I just drove up to Los Angeles. I had no plan, no idea, no clue. I had nowhere to live. But I did know that like Arnold Schwarzenegger and all those guys, they hung out at Venice Beach at that Gold's Gym Mecca. There was a lot of fit people there. So I just kind of drove my car there. Quickly found out that having a car in LA is not excellent. So I was homeless, just sleeping on Venice Beach, surrounded by fitness people. I was, so I guess this is, this is a roundabout way to, I guess, answering your question of the transition because the transition was so hard. And because I had no plan, and to contextualize it a little bit, I turned to booze and I was just stumbling around drunk. I was, I was using booze 24 seven to just like be numb. And I was just kind of like stumbling around. I had no purpose. And I find that that's one of the biggest problems that a lot of vets have. You go, you go from, from having
1: one of the biggest purposes exactly. in the world to having, yeah. not to say no purpose, but you know, when you have, when you're going to war, which is such an extreme purpose, right? And, and, it, and it's well, such an extreme environment, way, yeah. right? No, it is. It's like, you know, and first, thank you for your service if I didn't say it earlier, but I think it's not talked about enough. A lot of these guys and girls get, they go from that to this and there's not a huge support system and all of a sudden you're kind of just like left out into the wind, right? Eight days to go from war to civilian life is is not a very long transition.
4: Well, they say, I'm sure you've heard this when astronauts go to the moon and they come back. They get severe depression. It's called astronaut syndrome. And they compare it now to like YouTubers that go viral. Like you go mm. so viral and then like you have to come back down and like you're never going to hit that feeling of being viral. I can imagine that you had some sort of an astronaut syndrome.
3: It's exactly what you just said is I, I've i come to, to kind of understand or I, this is what I think. I think that a lot of PTSD or what we'll refer to it as post-traumatic stress disorder is guys coming to terms with the fact that they are never going to feel the rush that they got in war ever again. Like that is the most meaningful, purposeful thing that you're ever going to do in your entire life. And nothing that you ever do, it doesn't matter if you go skydiving, there's not one single pursuit that you will ever do in your entire life that is going to, that is going to bring you the thrill of being in a firefight, getting shot at, shooting at another human being, nothing is ever going to touch that. And you are kind of left to process that.
4: Do you think that the government does a good job of helping people after war? Because as an outsider, it doesn't really look like they do.
3: No. I mean, the VA. So I'll tell you, and she knows this now too. I finally found a, a really good doctor good. that I've been working with for years. It took me about six. It took me about six different doctors. It felt like now at this time, whenever I was meeting these doctors and trying to get admitted and have a psychiatrist work with me, I was training really intensely in CrossFit. I was very, very fit and I was very healthy or what I thought was. And, you know, I would have these doctors just sitting in front of me like checking these boxes. Okay, so here's the food pyramid. Have you been eating uh, wheat and... You should maybe, maybe you should eat some whole grains, maybe get into the sun a little bit more. These are all things that are good for your health. And I'm like, are you looking at me? Like, clearly, I'm a healthy, fit individual. Like, that's kind of their, it's just like very old school. It's very bureaucratic. They don't,
4: they almost don't, it's a check in the box.
3: Right. It's just a check in the box. And, I think, like you said, it's, they, they don't know what to say, a lot of them. And I think that the, the relatability that I have with the doctor that I've found now is the fact that she is married to an, to an army guy who is a combat vet. So it's like she has, she's very relatable in that sense. And I feel a little bit more comfortable talking and working with her.
1: It's, it's probably extremely stressful, maybe counterproductive at Times when you have people that have not been in combat experience or don't know people that that have that are in these positions to help people through that, right? Because like I can talk to you, we can talk on this mic on and on, but I don't have the context or the experience to actually know what you've been through, right? And I think probably the only people that do are people that have shared combat experience or that have been there before. And so if you have these people that don't have that context, I imagine it's extremely difficult to even connect with them at a human level.
3: Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, they, it's like they you know, they learn these practices and these methods from their textbooks from college of things that they're supposed to do to help people get over combat stress and whatever. And it's like, okay, so what we're going to do is I want you to visualize that I am the mother or the wife of, of so-and-so that, you know, you've just been in a firefight with and you found out that you killed this individual. And I want you to apologize and, you know, or or talk me through what was happening. And it's kind of like, that's some of these are like the practices of how you're supposed to get over it, not from running, not by running from it, by, but by confronting it. It's like,
4: I don't know. When you turned to booze, how did you get out of that? Did you check yourself? Did you feel like you needed to go to rehab? How did you transition from... Because it seems like you really have your shit together today. So what, what did that look like?
3: What I've gotten to right now has just been a, a mass of trial and error and then fail and, and fail and fail. Just kind of failed my way to a point that it wasn't necessarily success. It was just that I found a lack of failure and I kind of stuck with that. But I, for some reason, I decided that... So... I think that turning to booze it was due to the fact that I didn't really have a purpose. I knew I wanted to do something with with fitness. Didn't really know what. I decided I was going to commit myself and this was my own personal fitness journey. I was going to try to compete in CrossFit at the professional level and you know I guess going back, you know, we've established that I was the most unathletic kid ever. I was still scrawny. I was not really all that fit at all and all of the top level Crossfit athletes, I mean if you look at them they're they look like freaking Greek gods and you know I also don't come from this D1 background in in collegiate sports anything spectacular. So I needed every advantage that I could possibly get and booze was definitely not in any of those guys' diets. So I wanted to commit myself 100% to seeing what I could do with my body and I wanted to be able to compete at that level so I quit booze and You know i was at kind of a rocky point i I don't want to say rock bottom at that point but it was through building that routine of you know health and fitness focusing on how i was fueling my body for performance and whatnot that kind of helped shape my mentality around me a little bit more so i just completely committed a hundred percent that i wanted to compete professionally
1: and where were you living at this point and, and how were like after so once so once you were in california what were you what were you doing to support yourself
3: so I I first off started going to college. I, I sold my car because I had gotten a DUI getting out of the Marine Corps, which wasn't excellent. I was riding a bicycle everywhere. I picked up odd jobs. I would go and I would stand in the parking lot at Home Depot with day laborers, and I would stand out there and get picked up to help people move or build a deck, whatever I could do. I'd ride my bicycle at night and deliver food for this, for LA cafe in downtown LA. This is kind of before Uber eats and all that came out. So I would, I would do that to make a little bit of side cash. And I was riding my bicycle to school. And then I was making barely, barely enough money to get by. I'd, I'd finally like gotten an apartment to stay in. And then one day I got hit head on on my bicycle by a taxi cab from Bell Cab Company. I went through the windshield. I was on my way to school, went through the windshield, and I guess I, I kind of still had this mentality from, from the military, like, God damn it. Like, I was totally fine. I, it kind of hurt a little bit, obviously. So I just got up, my bike was trashed, and I didn't have any money. I'd spent basically the last bit of my money on this nice, like, $1,200 bicycle. So I jumped off the, the cab hood, grabbed my bicycle, picked it up on my shoulder, and just started walking back to school and some people stopped me. And they're like, whoa, 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 slow down. Like, where, where are you going? You got to stay. Ambulances are coming. Cops are coming. I was like, I got to go to school. I, I can't be sitting around for this. Cops immediately show up. They stop me. They start collecting my information. Are you sure you don't need to go to the hospital or anything? The, the wreck apparently looked pretty bad. Well, you no. went through
1: a fucking windshield.
3: Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just need to go to school. Yeah. They take my information down and everything. I get to school. I'm not five minutes into my class. And i'm like my phone's ringing off the hook so i step out at, of course it's bell cab company they're like we just want to make sure you're okay is there anything we could do are you sure you're not going to the hospital and i'm like yeah like my bicycle was my only means of transportation like it was a 1200 dollars bicycle which i bought used on craigslist i was like i just i don't have any way to get around anymore and they're like don't worry like we're gonna come we'll meet you at the closest starbucks right now just send us exactly what model it was we'll come cut you a check so you can buy a new bike. I'm like, sweet. Like, this is like a $2,500 bicycle brand new. I bought it used on Craigslist. So I meet these people at Starbucks. They cut me a check. I sign a bunch of stuff saying I'm not going to sue them, whatever. I think I'm, you know, living in heaven. And meanwhile, I probably could have sued them for millions. But my, that's just not where my mind was. My mind was kind of in this adapt and overcome, survive state. So I take that money and I bought. A motorcycle on Craigslist, and that was kind of how I got around from from then on.
1: Personally, it's frustrating for me to hear some of these stories because I think a guy like you goes out and gives the ultimate sacrifice for this country, and probably some of your buddies even worse. And in, and in some kind of ways, you kind of just get brought back and chewed up and spit out like without any kind of resources or help. And I don't think, unfortunately, your story, while unique to you, is not so unique. Like this happens to a lot of other guys and girls. Do you ever? You ever? think about that and reflect? And is there, I imagine there's some, obviously like a great appreciation, you're obviously a patriot, but there's also probably a little bit of resentment.
3: I wouldn't say resentment. I mean, I've, I've took a lot of time to think and process about all that. And there's a lot of really good things that I was able to take from that. And so that's what I focus on. I focus on the the discipline that it was able to build for me, creating a, a stronger mind that's helped me adapt and kind of overcome. Cause I've, I've hit rock bottom and I've been homeless more than once. And I've always kind of figured out a way to continue getting on and getting after it. And I think it was it was from that. I think that that's where a lot of guys run into trouble is they don't tap into the good things. They get a little sour and they kind of get this victim mentality. And
4: there's this book that I'm I keep telling Michael to read. It's called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. She passed away, but it sold 14 million copies and the whole book is exactly what you just said. Well, you know, if you continue to focus on the victim and the resentment and what's wrong, you will breed that in your life. And if you do what you've done, you will flourish. So it's so interesting. And I still think you should read that book. Well,
1: I think like it's so important for people to hear stories like this and, and understand what people like yourself have been through because people in this country, they take their security, their safety, their life for granted, right? They they complain about the dumbest things that are so inconsequential, right? Like even during the pandemic, which I understand was tough, like people were at home with Postmates, with their phone, with their loved ones in a warm house, in a warm bed, right? And they're sitting there cr- constantly crying and complaining, like living the life that you've led. I imagine like you, like it, it's probably harder to rattle your cage now with stuff like this because you've you've seen the ugliest part of human life, right? And I, I think people like it's, I understand why you can't, like people can't contextualize it, myself included, But I think these stories are so important because just when you think you have it bad, like you you, like people really don't understand how lucky they are to live in this country.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that you hit it on the head. It it it's certain like I I can certainly feel that I have a, a harder time relating with a lot of people just due to the way that I've shaped my life and the way that my life is rolled out. I think exactly like you said, the road to, you know, enlightenment is not going to happen at you know a perfect 75 degree house with postmates at your fingertips and porn at the click of a finger and all these instant gratifications and and convenience left and right i think it's a direct reflection of kind of where our society is at right now
1: yeah i think even if you're somebody that's listening to this show right now on your iphone or on your computer like you are already so much better off than the majority of the world i think like even just starting with something as simple as that right and like we have this mentality not just in this country but in many places where it's like this woe is me oh my god life is so tough and they really have no idea of how tough it can be
3: i think that you're you're absolutely right
4: i want to pull the story through what point did you guys meet and then you have to give us your background as well do you want to come over to my house and train my new dog i'm having a real problem with her you train dogs god you do everything i have a dog that i need trained
3: i i used i used dog training as maybe a maybe a coping mechanism that was like my that was my fallback so after i had i spent years and years getting after it for for crossfit i finally actually made it and competed professionally i competed at the crossfit games and it was the most unfulfilling thing that i've ever done in my life and i spent Why? oh my god i spent i spent four years chasing it and completely tearing my body up thinking that this is like this was the peak pinnacle goal of fitness like i was competing against the top athletes in the world, really, and all that came out of it was I was I was completely broke. My body was completely broken down. I had had I had a motorcycle wreck just just prior um, to to competing. That, Did you
1: ever start to think that maybe you weren't meant for two wheels?
3: Uh, maybe. Still rides a motorcycle? I still ride a motorcycle. Without um, helmet, here in Texas,
1: Doesn't, doesn't yeah. surprise me.
3: So that motorcycle wreck actually it it ruptured my testicle. It dislocated my hip, dislocated my pelvis. Fractured my thumb, my wrist, gave me a concussion. Wait, there's
4: four men in here. You can't say you ruptured your testicle without telling I, us what that feels like. So I've actually, what it like? I've
3: actually ruptured my testicle twice. Once in Afghanistan when I was blown up, I ruptured my testicle. And then I ruptured it again in that wreck. And
4: what does yeah. that feel like? Like it, the, the the ball explodes?
3: My my testicle was the size over bigger than a grapefruit for oh. about three weeks. And I would Shut wear- Shut up. I it would, was a grapefruit. Yeah, yeah. Was, how's
4: his testicle? His testicle now? It looks normal. It looks normal. Yeah.
1: Would,
4: so is, does it just go back? Shrink back to normal? A lot of
1: guys in the room are having cringing <laughs> 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 stomachs are hurting.
3: It not very fast. No, it's it's there's there's not a whole lot. You'd think that you could just like make an incision and like pull it out or like suck it out or something, but you, but you just can't. It's the inflammation and swelling, and plus, I guess it's the, the way that's spell
4: of Michael cheats.
3: The, the 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 way that the the scrotum, I guess, that holds the balls. It's it's very stretchy. And, and so it has a lot of room to expand. And so it like it expanded to full expansion. And so I'd have to wear three pairs of compression to kind of like situate it. And that was only part of the problem. I had a dislocated hip and pelvis while I was at it.
4: Was that the thing that hurt the most out of all the things you just mentioned? Out of everything you've been through was the ruptured te- te- testicle the worst?
1: When you say you were blown up, we gotta also kind of we can't glaze over that either because that seems like an important part of the story. We're gonna have to bounce around here, but there's yeah. a lot of things going on.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, so yeah, in in Afghanistan, one of the primary means of of our, the fights that we would get into is is bombs, IEDs. That's like the Afghani's way of fighting. They would plant bombs in the in the ground and then they would kind of shoot at you and lure you in and, and sometimes it's kind of mind-blowing how it would just go out every single day on these patrols it didn't really seem like we had much of a plan it was like we just kind of go out get shot at run like run towards the people shooting at us step on a bomb and then how do you make peace back. with that because it,
1: i think like y- that is the that has to be probably one of the sc- i mean one of the scariest things about what you went through in combat it's just not you know like you could do everything right and just step in the wrong direction or go in the wrong direction and all of a sudden it's like you're getting blown up
3: how do you make peace with that you know really think about it and, and it sounds really crazy but life in combat is extremely simple it's very simple it's very primitive life it's you're just you're surviving there's no distractions there's no you know we've got no drama we've got none of this like outside bull crap going on there's not there's you have one focus one mission one drive and it's it's very very simple simple life you almost don't even think of it like that
4: so you stepped on something wrong that's how you got blown so up so
3: i didn't step on something and an ied went off i was actually on top of a building at the time and i took sh- so i actually have i've have shrapnel wounds in my my left leg and then my arm and then it it hit here and and ruptured a little bit and it, it was it was honestly it wasn't until like honestly like later that night that I even realized anything was wrong. Cause it's like you have so much adrenaline pumping all the time that you don't even realize anything until I started like taking off my clothes to go to bed. And I think I took off my pants or took off my trousers and like I felt it was kind of swollen down there. So I started looking around and feeling around. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And so you just kind of went on with it.
4: Wow. I mean, that is you've you've been through it man
3: and i mean i guess going back forward the this the second ruptured testicle not only did i so i had to continue working and by this time when i'd wrecked my motorcycle i'd lost everything I'd i ruptured my testicle no, right. i'm not
1: showing up for the interview i'm out i'll be i'm done i not had not showing up
3: i had no money i i i had no money i had dogs and so i needed keep being able to take care of them. And I had actually, I had picked up stripping in LA.
4: Whoa. (laughs) This is like a two-part interview. You picked up stripping. Hold on. I have a hundred questions about this. You can't just throw that one in.
3: Well, he's got the CrossFit Bob. Hold on. How
4: did you pick up stripping?
3: So little context. First of all, Ramey has wanted me to like this is something… that
4: He's never shared before.
3: Right. Ramey is…
4: Ramey, perfect time to share it.
3: Ramey is like, listen, if we get on the skinny confidentially, you got to you gotta tell this.
2: It's, it's amazing. I want to know perfect. the details. He hasn't Have, told me.
4: You haven't asked him the details?
2: Not really. Oh, I'm going the to get the details.
4: I'm going to get the juice. Okay. We're going to get all the
0: juice do now. Do How do you get into stripping? I am one of those people that loves a burger and pasta with a nice soda. But the problem is the soda is full of so much shit. But then I was introduced to Olipop. You've seen it all over Instagram. It's the new kind of soda. It's the way to do soda because soda, regular soda is full of sugar, corn syrup, artificial ingredients like aspartame, all this nasty shit. I even feel like shit after I drink one But Olipop is made with natural ingredients that are actually good for you. I am a fan of their vintage cola. I also like their orange squeeze. When I was little, I always would drink orange soda. It's kind of nostalgic to sit down and have an Olipop orange squeeze. Option to add tequila too. And another fun fact about Olipop is not only is it nostalgic, it also has the benefits of prebiotics, plant fiber, and botanicals. So you're supporting your microbiome and your digestive health while you're drinking, quote unquote, soda. The best part about it and why I wanted to partner with them is because it only has two to five grams of sugar from natural sources. So there's no added sugar. Now, let me just give you a little comparison. Coca-Cola has 39 grams of sugar. Their Orange Squeeze, guys, the one that I like, has five grams of sugar compared to Orange Fanta, which has 44 grams of sugar. Their products are non GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto friendly. You're going to love it. Receive 20% off plus free shipping on your order. I recommend trying their variety pack. I feel like this is a fabulous, sexy way to try all their delicious flavors. You are going to go to drinkolipop.com or use code SKINNY at checkout to clean this deal. That's D R I N K O L I P O P.com slash skinny. Olipop can also be found in over 8,000 stores across the country, including Kroger, Target, Whole Foods, Sprouts, and Wegmans. Cheers.
3: It was by pure chance. I was, I used to, so you have a book that says, get the fuck out of the sun. Okay. I used to live my life in the sun. Okay. I would go out to the beach and just sit in the sunlight and just soak it up. It just it felt really good, and so I'd just been sitting out in the sunlight reading on the beach, and I was walking up the sidewalk in Santa Monica. This really like attractive Latin guy, he chases me down and he gives me a business card. I didn't even look at it at the time; I just tossed it in my pocket. Later on, I look at it. It's Hunkomania, Hunkomania L.A. I was like, "Huh, interesting." So I texted him, and he put me into he put me into a, a WhatsApp chat with like a bunch of really like handsome shirtless dudes named like Giovanni and Showtime, but stuff like that. But just a position
4: from this to the Marines is like there's parallels, but like it's just, this is like amazing. Keep going. Right.
3: And so stripping was actually the catalyst to me quitting school, aside from teachers yelling at me saying I couldn't eat food in their lecture halls. So I'd, I got a text when I was sitting in algebra class one day, from the guys saying, hey, we need another guy. We're about to do rehearsals. If you can learn the Magic Mike routine, then we're going to give you…
1: This is no bullshit. It's the Magic Mike routine.
3: So, little fact, Magic Mike, the movie, like Channing Tatum and those guys, that Magic Mike routine, it originated with this company, Hunkomania. Mania. This is their choreography, everything. Can you so, please show us? <laughs> you
4: guys should do a TikTok. This will go viral. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, I get that text when I'm sitting in algebra. I hate algebra. I couldn't do it. And so they're like, hey, listen, if you can come to this rehearsal and if you can get it down, we need you to dance the main for the Saturday night show. The main guy as in like the middle guy. So like Channing Tatum from the show. So I was going to dance the middle guy. So I went.
4: Everyone is searching you on Instagram right now. What you look like. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. So I slammed my book closed, got on my bike. I went straight to rehearsals, learned the act, showed up Saturday night, and I'm kind of I'm kind of shy, very very introverted, so it was it was definitely awkward at first. But and I kinda, who's the, and
1: the clientele that you're doing this for is it, these are like you're going to private houses, it's for women.
3: I was pointing at Lauren because it's like, it's 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 Lauren's. It's like a lot of
0: Lauren's. <laughs> it's bitches with extensions falling off their head. So is it, so is it like, they're,
1: they're booking for parties, they're booking for bachelorette it's, stuff, they're not? It's that, yeah. Okay. It's
3: it's birthdays, bachelorettes, mostly bachelorettes. And there would be multiple, like an average would be like four to five bachelorette parties at once. That was a big like home run because that would be like 200 some odd girls. And so they'd rent out these venue spaces in Hollywood, West Hollywood, We'd show up, you know, we'd have like thousands of dollars in singles whenever the girls got there. And so I kind of have a analytical brain and I would always be there seeing like what girls were getting like $50 in singles, where they, where were they going to be sitting um, so that I could strategically kind of seek them out after the act because you get to go out and like mingle and do private dances and whatnot. So anyway, I got, I got a little sidetracked, but so the Saturday comes around and I do... I do the act, the umbrella routine, Magic Mike. I did it really good. And I just continued showing up. The money was really good. And I wasn't doing anything else on you know Friday or Saturday nights anyways. The money, the, it was cash. And I had dogs at the time. So I would be making these fat, fat stacks of dollar bills. And in the, I remember there was girls at the, the dog food store that would laugh because I would come in and buy a $100 bag of Origin dog food with all singles. I needed to use them for something. It was hysterical. So and
1: and did they knew what you were
3: doing, or are they just like put? I t- mean, I don't think people are stupid. They see somebody show up with a fat stack of single dollar bills. I
4: would be like, "Can I have I'm- your card for a bachelorette party?" Wait, so I've been to bachelorette parties where girls. Get- I'm not talking about me. Get a little freaky with the strippers. What? Mm -hmm. I've seen this. Like they get down, like they're about to suck dick. Basically, is that like when you're in these situations? Are these women like drunk, throwing themselves at you, like trying to like get bent over? Like, what's the circumstances that we're dealing with here?
3: Oh yeah, and I mean, I saw it on a weekly basis for like two years. I
4: think women actually cheat more than men.
3: Maybe. I mean, I and yes, I agree. (laughs) Throw it Um, out there. Lauren said it. (laughs) Yeah. Some of the shows, they would get really, really out of control. And, you know, yeah, there are a lot of girls that they want to go home with these guys. Like, I I was approached a a lot, I'm not going to lie. But, Careful, careful. The
1: girl's getting daggers over there.
2: The first question I asked him was, have yeah. you ever slept with any of the girls you danced for? I right. mean, how can you and not? So, I know. So how, you, you, so I feel like you have to. It's a
1: big trap,
3: buddy. So here's… So here's
2: <laughs> this is a trap. You've, you've been around traps. This is a real trap.
1: One one guy to the other. You're in a big, tra- you're in a dicey <laughs> so situation. So here's and where we're careful.
3: at. So here's where we're at. I, I like to think of myself as a pretty self-aware guy. And so the, the type of girl who's going to approach me and want to go home with me and sleep with me, that's not the type of girl that I would want to sleep with. All, right. she, all she knows about me is that I'm a stripper and I've got some muscles and she wants to jump in bed with me. That means that the, the, the quality of guys that she's probably sleeping with, just the quality of a person she is altogether probably is not what I'm interested in. She doesn't know that I'm there stripping so that I can feed my dogs like, She doesn't know anything about me. So it it wasn't even a question.
4: When you're stripping, are you showing full penis? No, no, no. Oh, it's not Um, full penis.
3: Well, so no, you you strip down to like trunks or like. But
4: do do you want to like, if I'm a guy and I'm stripping, I want to make sure like there's a little something, something there. Like, are you like warming it up before you go out or is it just like. Is
1: this pre or post grapefruit testicle?
3: So it, that, that actually happened during. Perfect
4: imagine, though, I that imagine that, that, that might have been a benefit. I would use the testicle to might strategically be, might be, make it look Actually, better.
3: Might be an <laughs> asset in this well, case. Well, actually one of, there's a picture, there's an old picture of my backside on stage dancing and it's right after I had my wreck. And so my whole entire backside is all bruised and scraped up. So I I had to go and dance straight after my wreck with dislocated everything. I was like, part of my routine was like, like handstand walking and then like and then straddling over a girl so I was trying to do that with a pelvis and hip dislocation fractured fingers and stuff so
4: has he not done this in the bedroom for you? No, he hasn't. I, we, he needs we, to do this I in the ask bedroom. every birthday. You yeah. have to do this in the bedroom. Listen, for him.
3: You better, you got to get that older. Come on,
4: out. you you should do it on TikTok. And, but the thing if is, if I could
1: straddle <laughs> hand, if I could stand on my hands and flip down, I would.
4: fucking be, came into the bedroom tonight butt naked, uh, straddling, uh, doing listen, cartwheels.
1: If I had that type of athletic ability, that would be my thing. I would come in like a fucking scorpion every day and just rip, rip, <laughs> rip down. Fuck. Oh, flip down. Oh, that's way too much. I'd come flipping off the ceiling fan. I mean, life's hard enough. I don't need
3: that. I know. Choreography, still like I know it.
4: You have to. You. This is a huge missed opportunity. <laughs> right, here's what
1: we'll do. We'll go get tattoos, and then after you show me the routine, and then oh, I can you
4: want to see the routine? Well, no, I might need, need to learn the routine.
1: I need. Michael to and I can
3: show up with umbrellas, and <laughs> we'll do the umbrella spinning and snap crack. Now I know what to get you for your birthday. <laughs> you
4: do have a great ass,
1: Michael. Yeah, well, now I got to just learn how to flip on my. Okay, anyway. So
4: okay, so you're so you're stripping, and then how do you get out of stripping? And how do you guys
1: meet?
3: Okay, so that's actually perfect. It's a it's a nice little segue. It took us a
1: while to get back here. There's yeah. a lot we had to unpack there.
3: <laughs> right. So as we'd kind of mentioned, I I was rescuing dogs. I mean, I had like eight or nine big aggressive dogs in my tiny little loft in LA at one time. I had a partner. Uh, at the time that I was rescuing dogs with, my partner was working with Rami and her dog, Simba. And she was going to New York for something. And he couldn't take her dog in, so he was like, "Hey, man, I got this client. She's gonna bring her dog over. Can you look after him?" I'm like, "Yeah, whatever. Sounds good." So, Ramy shows up. She shows up to drop Simba off, and I had, I had taken on boxing and fighting, and so my face was completely battered in, fucked up. I had black eyes. and My face was totally, you know, messed up. And she-
1: this, this, this as a recreational thing, or this was like you were pursuing this for. A career path,
2: for extra cash. Okay,
3: well, right? <laughs> both. Yeah, I mean, I was I was boxing in the amateur circuit, but also I had found my way into some shady goon work that's kind of associated with nightlife and all that. Like you bet. Other which
2: guy will beat who?
3: Stuff. Anyway, got it. So that was m- us meeting one another. That was the state that I was in.
4: Did you, when he opened the door, did you immediately? like his energy?
2: I did. Yeah. yeah. It was this like grounding, just strong energy. He didn't say a word to me.
4: He's shy a little bit at first, but I think once you get him talking.
2: Exactly. And like, I could just tell, like, even though he looked like he had, I mean, he had black eyes, his whole face was swollen. And I thought maybe he was a drug addict. I don't know. I was dropping my oh, dog here, off. Here's my
3: dog, take him. I don't care if you're a drug addict.
2: But I had a sense of like, whoa. Like I turned around and I was like, His energy. I really, really like it. It's very grounding. And he just grabbed the dog food, chucked it over his shoulder, grabbed Simba, and just walked away. Didn't say a word to me. I was
4: like, goodbye, Simba. (laughs) Did you guys text about the dog?
2: Yeah. So I was in New York and he was really sweet. Like he sent pictures of his black German Shepherd with my German Shepherd, white German Shepherd, just together and added a little filter on it and sent it over. So he was making some effort.
1: Well, you seem like you have a very sensitive side to you, obviously, if you're, if you're rehabilitating and taking care of dogs, right? Like yeah. on the surface, you hear these combat vet, fighter, goon work. Stripper. Stripper. Like you, like you would assume, but then also, but, you know, like talking to you here, like there's obviously a very sensitive side. And we're talking off air. you're taking care of animals. So like it's, it's a very balanced, like masculine, feminine way of being. I mean, that is a compliment.
4: I love there's nothing hotter than a masculine man that's in touch with his feminine energy. And you will get to you taking care of goats, but I can tell he has that. I think I always tell Michael, my dad ha, is is masculine, but he has feminine energies. Fine to connect with that. I feel like it shows both sides. Your
1: dad's such a pussy. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just want to throw Brad. I'm just kidding. Love you. My
4: dad's probably listening. I, know, I
1: just I like I just like to throw that out. There. Okay. Love your dad. <laughs> that,
4: that's creepy. Okay, so <laughs> let's get context of your story, and then we can intertwine. You guys today, because mm-hmm. today I want to talk about two. So let's go back to your childhood.
2: I had a good childhood. I grew up in Los Angeles. My mom came from Japan. My dad came from Taiwan. Till this day, they don't speak each other's language. So we all communicate in broken English. That's just how it is. So we have, you know, I grew up that way, and they did everything in their power to give me the life they didn't have. So private schools, tutoring, math, jazz, piano, art, sports, everything they wanted me to dive into and try to to hope that something will stick. Growing up, I went to a private school where I was the only one that was Asian. And so like I was very kind of ashamed of my culture and I always wanted to hide it. I would bring seaweed to school and like hide my lunch even though my mom spent, you know, hours making it, I didn't want them to see it. I would hide it, I would throw it away. And I would get corn dogs and hamburgers to like be like everybody else. And my my mom heard that she was so sad about it. But it wasn't until like later on that now, you know, I embrace my culture, my food, and wow, I've been eating superfoods my entire life without even realizing it. And I have so much appreciation for that. So when you're younger, and you said you were the
4: only Asian in your entire high school. What does that feel like looking back?
2: I just knew I looked different. And when boys would make fun of me, then I it just confirmed it. So they would say some really mean stuff to me, and that would just make me want to be nothing but what I was.
1: I imagine this was when you're younger. As you start to get older, the boys probably start singing a different tune, yes?
4: Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I think the boys are singing a different tune now. Oh, yeah. I have so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the boys are singing a different tune. So, so I want to get into content creation and how you got into that, but maybe walk us through what you were interested in high school and then college and then how you got into what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, so in high school, I was never good at sports. Like I'd be the bench warmer, never coordinated, couldn't do dance. So I resorted to art. I was very creative and I felt that I was in my element when I was just creating. At the same time, my parents were super, super strict. So my mom was a tiger mom. I couldn't go to prom. She wouldn't let me have a boyfriend. Laura
1: needs to know what a tiger mom is. So, and I don't know if you know this, but my was full Japanese. Mm. Did you know that? Mm. Um, and my mom's half. And so... I can relate on a little bit because they my, my mom told me all these stories about how they used to struggle cuz they grew up in a predominantly white area and obviously their their mother was an immigrant met my grandfather after the war and so she came over and same thing like their their mom, like they you know I think a lot of asian parents push a lot of their ambitions onto their children not just asian parents a lot of parents do that but particularly and I could say this asian parents Push their ambitions onto their children and have a very high standard. And I told, I tell Lauren all the time. Sometimes my mom's strict. She might listen to this, and it's never like you know. Even if you do something good, it's never like great. That it's like, hey, oh, you got an A. Ooh, you could have got an A plus. Not good oh, enough. Yeah, it's all. But I think it's. It's, it also has to do with the way they're raised, right? It's like this, con, it's this repetitive cycle. And so like when I hear critical feedback now, it doesn't bother me as much as it may bother other people because I'm used to hearing- made you tough. Yeah, it makes you tough because you're like, oh, um, like I, I never look for outside validation with words now because my validation growing up was, oh, you could always be a little better. It could always be a little better. Does that make sense?
0: Okay. We spoke about travel earlier with the chlorophyll and now I'm going to tell you about the probiotic that I brought on vacation. It shouldn't surprise you. It's just Thrive. I have had the founder on twice because I find her so interesting. I also decided to have a microbiologist on to explain why certain probiotics are better than others. You got to do your research when it comes to a probiotic. This is what I've found. I used to think all probiotics were the same. And after talking to this microbiologist and the founder, I learned that probiotics come down to one thing, and that one thing is survivability. So you want to be able to make sure that whatever probiotic that you're taking has the ability to survive the trip from your mouth to your gut. Most probiotics, and this blew my mind, actually fail to do this. They fail to survive. So you're taking a probiotic and it's like fucking pointless, okay? Okay. I also think that it's important to look at what's in your probiotics. So the one that I take by Just Thrive is vegan. It's non-GMO. It's gluten-free. It's dairy-free and free from anything artificial. It's so safe. It's even safe for kids. I give it to Zaza. How I like to give it to her is I'll do a smoothie. So if I'm home, I'll just sprinkle a little bit. Like I'll open the capsule and sprinkle a little bit into her smoothie. And then I'll have some and she has some and we get our probiotics in. Probiotics, if you're unaware are everything. The gut is so important when it comes to the immune system, beautiful skin, better sleep, and they also help with easier weight control. If I had to take one supplement or recommend one supplement, it would be a probiotic. I just think that it's so important to have your best immune system, digestive health, and also emotional health. And a probiotic does that for you. So my advice is, if you're taking a probiotic, look into its survivability. If you want to try the one I take and save 15% off, you're going to go to justthrivehealth.com slash Skinny and use promo code SKINNY. That's just thrivehealth.com slash skinny, promo code SKINNY.
4: What's a tiger mom?
2: A tiger mom is, it looked like this. I had a cell phone that I wasn't able to look at at night, it would be somewhere hidden in my parents' closet. It was my computer wrapped up in a trash bag with rope around it a certain way so I couldn't use the computer at night in my room. It was me not being able to use the house phone to call my friends or my boyfriend at the time so they would hide it and I would go and get my friend's phones and hide it in the closet but they would find it and still take it away. It was just very controlling in the sense where all they wanted me to do was study and get good grades.
1: Was there like a specific career path they wanted you to follow?
2: Probably doctor, something like that. Where not I would, a rodeo clown. Not a rodeo clown, not a content creator. Rodeo
1: clown was not on the menu for, <laughs> no. from the Asian parents.
2: Every person who's
4: Asian that we've had on the podcast has a similar story about how their parents wanted them to be something. What is, what is that culture? Why is everyone so obsessed
2: with studying? That's a good question. I think... Well, for my mom growing up, no one told her to study. They were just like, work on the farm. Go go work on the farm and just do labor. And at that time, my mom, she always tells me, I'm so beautiful at this age. I don't want to be hiding in a factory working. Like I want to go out in the city and experience and pursue what I want to do. But to them, it was just be a worker and help the family out.
1: And, and remind me, were your parents both immigrants? They're both immigrants. Yeah, I think, Lauren, this is also like the the immigrant mentality of so many immigrants know how hard it is to get to a place like the United States. And they, you know, there's a deep appreciation for how hard it is to to get here. And so when they have children here, they want their children to take every advantage of what a country like this has to offer. Which but makes they, total sense. Yeah, I mean, so that I think, makes sense. Like, it's, I don't think it's just, eight, I think it's p- children of any immigrants and i'm not blanket like not for everybody but i think a lot of immigrants fall into that category where it's like they know how much of a struggle it was to get here and they want the best for their children so they it sometimes manifests in a way that's not the healthiest but it i don't think it originates from a bad place
2: exactly it was all out of love and i know that to my core but it was very all i wanted to do was get freedom and just break away from my family at that time
4: So what did the freedom look like when you finally broke away?
2: Oh, well, I went to college at UC Irvine. And that was the first time. My mom also just completely went zero to 100. Just let go of me. Didn't even care if I didn't come home on the weekends. She just completely turned a different person. So I was curious about everything. My parents rose me up. My parents always had me eating healthy food. And I wanted nothing but Junk food, Gushers, kangaroos, things like that.
1: Gushers are really good. They
2: are really good. (laughs) Fruit roll-ups. And I ate all of that in college and cup of noodles and Cheetos. And I gained the freshman twenty twenty five, And I was just happy because I was able to just eat and do whatever I wanted. I felt like shit, but I was just happy I was able to do them. So what are you studying in college at this point? So I studied international studies and I went abroad to Japan to study abroad. And I think it was at that point where I was like, you know what? I'm a goof and I'm a weirdo and I'm going to embrace it. I also love my culture. The food is amazing. And when I came back from that, study abroad I was like a changed person
1: I mean listen I love America but we could embrace some Japanese culture when it comes to our our diets right we don't I don't think that we're not the pinnacle no there's uh, a lot of things we're not the pinnacle of health when it comes to this country
2: yeah and and I think that's what's cool now with my like creating content is I can bring the culture that I grew up with like the superfoods I was eating back then umeboshi fermented soybeans natto like if I let you guys try that you would hate it. it Disgusting. Excuse me. I'm going to blow your mind. What have
4: I been eating for the last three months every day? Say the first one again. Every day. It's plum paste. Yes. I have eaten plum paste every single day for the last three months. That's so good. With my rice cooker. It is my favorite Favorite thing on the planet. I cannot believe you just said that.
2: <laughs> Do you have tell- to get the honey one.
4: Okay, I'm going to text you the one that I have okay. and you can tell me which one. I just, I wanted one that was really like non-GMO, nothing added, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send you the one I have, but if there's better
2: one, I am obsessed with that page.
1: She's good about that stuff though, like eating healthy. Wait, looking- what is I didn't
4: know it has tons of benefits.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an alkalizing food. So it's, you know, it's it balances off all the... All the, you know, you know what I mean? Like, is it for the gut? Yes, it's great for the gut. And also fermented soybeans, not dough. Have you ever tried that? No, you have to text. I love, I love all this. Okay, what's that? I just don't know if you're going to like that one. We're inviting
1: ourselves over for dinner. You'd I be was surprised. Say, yeah.
2: You'd be surprised. I have like Ew. weird tastes. It's mucusy and yeah. it's beans. I think I might. <laughs> and it's sour and it tastes like feet honestly, that's I not a, might like it. That's
1: not a, that's not a rave review. No,
2: uh, you said you but like it. But it's so good for your digestion and your gut
4: health. I would eat shit if someone told me it was good for me. <laughs> I really would. So like if I don't care how it tastes, I want to try it. That is so funny that you just said that paste. I actually got recommended to eat it by an herbalist. Mm. She said that you have to try this paste. It's so good for you. And I started eating it every day. And now I'm addicted. It's so good. I've only... Sorry, this is a tangent, you guys. I've only had it on rice. Is there other stuff to put it on?
2: You could put it into miso soups or even just soups in general. Okay. It just adds a little bit of sour tartness. Okay.
4: I love your content creation and I realize that's one of the reasons that I love it is because it pulls through different things that maybe I didn't know about. How did you start creating content? I met you initially at a Propel event many years ago. You you were a star the second I met you. I mean, you just had the glow about you. How how did you get into it, and wh- at what point in the journey were you on when I met you?
2: To backtrack, I think I was I was just tired of being like lowest on the totem pole, right? So like when I was working in my corporate jobs, I was always the the intern or like the office manager, and it was it was just not a great feeling to show up every day and not be doing something that I truly enjoyed or that I was super passionate about. So for me, content creating or at that time, it was just I was discovering how to eat healthy for myself because just out of college, I was eating hot Cheetos and cup of noodles. And so this was my chance to show up for myself, do something good and change my lifestyle. So I started exploring superfoods and posting about it, sharing about it. And what I did was I showed up every single day for two years straight, sharing a different recipe every single day. And this was to my personal Instagram. Like it wasn't anything. I didn't know it could be anything more. And through that, I was like, wow, I can actually be myself, be excited to jump out of bed in the morning and do something I really love.
4: One thing that I really respect about both of you is that a lot of people looked at quarantine in a way where what they couldn't do. And the reason I wanted to have you guys on is because you both obviously have interesting stories, but I noticed that you both looked at quarantine as what you could do. Can you talk to us about the business that you've developed together? I mean, it's really cool what you guys have done. With you literally took quarantine and like turned it around.
3: I mean I think it's a perfect element of that that dichotomy of control like you said a lot of people just they had this their blinders on this this narrow focus on all of these things I cannot do and I mean I know from my experience I've 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 had a quite bumpy ride I've hit rock bottom but it was always kind of like health and fitness that I felt really helped de- develop my my mentality to keep going and so something that is very very much in our control it doesn't matter if people are locked down if people are you know, scared of getting sick or whatever. Whatever's going on in the outside world, focusing on all of that is not going to benefit you in any way, shape, or form. But just bringing that focus internal and and making the best of the situation and developing your your physical fitness, it's only going to do good for you overall. And you can do that every single day. She had she had established this incredible following, and you know our our lives were kind of rattle just as much as everyone else's so we wanted to you know jump on and show people that you can exercise and feel great every single day.
1: And how far into your journey creating content were you when you guys met? I think we we, we skipped over that a bit.
3: Yeah I mean you had like 270,000 like you had like 250,000 followers or something I was
2: like three years in or four years in when I met Nate.
4: And did you, like, how did you guys, your courting process go? I'd love to hear about
1: it. You want to go?
2: Yes. Well, so… so you have
1: her dog hostage. You're holding the dog hostage. You're,
2: you're like, okay. using, you're putting he's, cute filters on it. He's sending me videos of himself roller skating with Simba down downtown LA with the cars. <laughs> and he's shirtless. So, all I see are, like, eight-pack chocolate abs. And I'm like, what? He's. It's more abs than dog. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. And since then, you know, I picked Simba up. And he's the one told me, my girl Juno got along really well with Simba. If you guys, if we want to plan a dog date, I'm happy to go on a hike another time. And so he was very like not aggressive though. And I needed to be the one that like pursued yeah. him.
3: She, I mean… She- She pursued me, that's for sure, because I just, from the outset, you know, I'm a very private person. I didn't have an Instagram following or anything like that, and I saw her with this huge following. I'm like, there's no possible way that she would be into me, especially, like, I've got all these red flag, you know, tattoos, like, on me stay away from girls me.
0: love a red flag
3: i mean i've come to we love
4: a red flag I, the more red flags the fucking better right
3: yeah if
1: i could give any advice <laughs> to guys I'd just become a giant red, red
4: flag Red flag it up
3: just get heartthrob tattooed across your neck and it <laughs> works anyway um yeah so she pursued me and she uh she went and got a pair of rollerblades and she took a video of her skating simba around and sent it to me as kind of like a, a poke, like, hey, what's going on? You and, inspired and, me. Right. And she, she actually initiated and followed up like, hey, by the way, I wanted to take you up on that offer. Maybe we take the dogs out for a hike. And all I had was a motorcycle. So she had to pick me up in her car and everything. But we, we took the dogs out for a hike.
4: That's the thing that I also love about you. Like you're so sweet and adorable and cute and pretty. But what you've built... And it sounds like in your relationship too, you're aggressive and you're assertive, and you know what you want. I feel like you're deceptively, deceptively assertive. Is that an accurate? I think t- that's fiction? very true. Okay. Yes. What do you think? If you could give advice to our audience, some things that that have helped you be like that, like what are some some little tips?
2: I guess I just don't let negativity really affect me. Like I just let it kind of, I just let it go. I'm very good at that. And I'm a very positive person. I think that's from my mom's upbringing. She would always, no no matter how low we were, she always saw the blue sky and appreciated it. Or she saw the flower and she would be so happy. And so these little moments where I saw her, even if my, you know, were going bankrupt, like it's, she always didn't let that affect her. And I think seeing that, and she'd never stop the way she wanted to live, hold herself up high, like she was always. She never let herself soak in. And I think seeing that, that kind of helped me to just whenever anything bad happens, it's all like a pinpoint in where I'm supposed to go, and it's I trust the process. I totally agree with that mentality. I think that's incredible.
4: How do you guys work together? I'd love some tips.
2: <laughs> well, so Nate is a guy who wants to be. In solitude. And I'm (laughs) someone that needs to bounce ideas off and like poke at him and ask him and bother him. (laughs) Wait, it sounds like you're you're,
4: you're, Michael's the same way, he loves solitude, but Michael's also like you too. So it's like he's in solitude but wants to bounce ideas. It's
1: like, but I'm I'm sometimes, no, I just sometimes I want to be in solitude and sometimes I want to bounce ideas. (laughs) So,
2: how do you guys balance that? So, in when we lived in LA, we had one office and if I was working in there with my assistant, he couldn't stand that because it was too loud and he couldn't concentrate. He moved his desk to the gym, to the to the to the outside garage and that's where he worked and it worked out really well that way.
4: What's another tip to work together and live together? It's cuz it's a lot.
3: You can't You can't take, it's almost like you have to be able to flip a switch. And I'm sure both of you can relate between business, Michael and Lauren and relationship, Michael and Lauren. So it's kind of the same with business, Nate and Ramey. And then it actually even gets even more complicated when, when Nate is photographer, Nate for Instagram, Ramey, and then, and then homebodies Nate and homebodies Ramey are working together on our fitness stuff. And then Nate, relationship Nate and Ramey come together at the end of the day. And so I think we've we've established kind of a method where we have to carve out that, you know, our mornings are exactly the same every morning. That's relationship Nate and relationship Ramey spending our time together, laying out our plan of how we're going to attack the day. And then we go into our, Homebody's fitness, Nate and Ramy, and we tackle that, and then we look into all of the tasks that need to get done. And I'll take my fitness Nate hat off, and I'll put on photography Nate hat on, and get really frustrated trying to take her pictures. It's a balancing act, and it's it's not easy. It's been a challenge. We've had a lot of challenges.
4: If you guys de- decide to have kids, wait until it's kid Nate, because that's a whole. <laughs> different addition to add to the puzzle. Oh
3: yeah, I'm sure.
4: Ramy, I have to ask you this because I think that you are very much like me in this way. I know you have a specific morning routine. He just mentioned it. I've seen it on Instagram. What is that?
2: My morning routine recently, and it's it actually changed. I used to pride myself in getting all my to-do list done. Like busy work, busy 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 work. And I read the book Power of Less recently, and that's completely changed my outlook now. The top 4 things on my list every single day now is read right when I wake up. It's coffee and then read, meditate, exercise.
3: And then you just use that flow right into your day and you don't get overwhelmed anymore.
2: Exactly. And I don't feel productive unless I get my first four priorities out of the way.
4: That's really interesting you say that. This is a lot of internal conversation with Michael and I. He's Having trouble sometimes to articulate to everyone that it's important to work on the business, not in it. Everyone's so obsessed with their to do list. And Michael is a very, you've always been like this. Well, you're very, I don't even know the word for it. We just
1: did this whole like leadership offsite with my team. And I, you know, I had to like kind of. I think a to-do list is, like you said, it's busy work. It's a good thing for people to feel like they're checking something. It's a good way to, to feel like you're accomplishing something throughout the day, right? Like, and a to-do list can be a bunch of things. But what I've been trying to talk to people more about is like a, what a priority list looks like, right? Like mm-hmm. what's actually important because everybody, and this is for a lot of people who are listening, everybody, whether they're working in an organization or they're working for somebody or they work for themselves, they want people to be impressed and appreciate them because they've gone through their to-do list. What I keep telling people is like your to do list, my to do list, his to-do list, hers doesn't mean shit to me, right? Like it's it it like and I think a lot of people get really disenfranchised and they get disgruntled working organizations like I've been working so hard, I knocked out my to-do list. I'm like, it doesn't matter if you've checked off a bunch of meaningless tasks. It matters if you've actually had impact and moved the business or the venture or the family or whatever forward. And I think so many people they get caught up in these long ass to-do lists. But to your point, if you made more of like a priority and goal list. Like the to do list, the to do stuff is just stuff you do to actually hit the goal or the priority, right? Like that, you shouldn't be rewarded for. You should be reward- rewarded for actually getting, you know, whatever task is is important done. Right? Since
4: you're s- such a wellness queen, let me let me do a little quick fire answer. What are you reading when you wake up?
2: Right now, I'm reading Finding Flow.
4: Okay. What are you meditating to? Sleep and relax well. It's a
2: great app. Sleep and relax well. I love it. It's hypnosis. Okay. And it just really gets me in this trance, and I use it to fall asleep at night, so I don't have racing thoughts. And how long are you meditating for in the morning? In the morning, I'll do it after I've worked out, so maybe five minutes. So quick, quick, okay. And you're doing Home Bodies workout, right? And I do Home Bodies workout. And do you do that seven days a week?
4: Yes. Do you guys do it together?
2: Well, so the first year when we started it, we were recording one new workout every single day. And when we launched, we only had seven workouts in there, but it was a 365-day program. So we used the feedback of the audience as we were building out the program. So we just finished recording all 365. I think we have like 460 workouts in there now. And so now I do Bodies alone and he kind of just does movement meditation. That's
4: cool though, because it's like a community-driven, like the audience has been invested in building the platform.
2: Exactly. exactly.
4: And then what are your go-to like drinks, supplements, tinctures? What are you doing in the morning? I feel like you have some real great ones that I don't know about.
2: I mean, I, I just, like I mentioned, I love umeboshi. I love kimchi. I love soybeans, fermented soybeans. I eat those every single day without fail. And I think that is the key to long life. I mean, if you look at Japanese people, they live a very long yeah. life. And those are the three things that they eat. I, I love calm, the magnesium. That's really nice at night. And
4: those are good ones though. I need to, I want you to text me those three exact ones that you said. Okay. And what the brands are and we will try to put them in the show notes and maybe have you on the blog for that. Okay. Anything you're winding down with at night that we need to know about?
2: Your podcast. Really? Yeah. I clean while listening to your podcast. Wow. And then after I go upstairs, I do my skincare routine and then I meditate, with relax, and sleep well.
4: And I want to know, and this is a question for both of you:
2: Why you guys decided to
4: move to Austin?
2: I mean, there was a lot of reasons, but leading up to it, we were just so tired of. I mean, uh, yeah. The porch bandits that we get on our street and what? on our front door. Well,
3: not even just porch bandits. I caught a guy masturbating on the front lawn, looking through the mean- window at Ramy. What? She said, "Beating is meat." Oh, that's Listen. what we call it. Oh, beating is meat.
1: There's a lot of places you could do that. I wouldn't want to do that in front of your well, house. And, and yeah, of everything I've heard, I would, that's a wrong house right. to do that in front of.
3: Well, yeah, and I caught him.
4: What did you do? Or should we not say At it on L-
1: air? L- <laughs> I'll tell you what. It was probably some of that goon work. Right?
3: Right. I mean, Rami. I remember looking up and Rami like turned the corner and I caught him on on Venice Boulevard, right where you and I were, or where we're all walking whenever you visited. And I was just just like. Pile driving him into the concrete.
4: Oh
1: god! See, wrong house to do that in front of.
4: Yeah, listen, guys, don't beat your meat
1: in front of someone's house. Definitely. Listen, it's very if you're There's caught, so many
4: places to beat your meat.
1: If you're caught beating meat in front of <laughs> some woman's house, you probably deserve to get And to, If you're
4: gonna beat your meat, check to see if they were a former marine. <laughs> like, you know, like you don't want to be beating your meat in front of a former marine's house. That's not the move. You know what I mean?
3: We we had we had we had chickens stolen out of our front lawn as well. Living there. I don't yes. know what they're going to do over there. Yeah.
4: To round this out, tell us about what your life is like in Austin because it seems romantic.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we have six goats. Four of them are pregnant.
3: No, we, we have eight.
2: Oh, we have eight. We got two more last weekend. <laughs> and we have six cows. And a mule. And a mule. Two bunnies. And two bunnies and a dog. And we're living ranch life what's it like? Give us details. Well, you open the sliding glass door and it's dead quiet. Wow. Isn't that nice? Breath of fresh air.
0: It's so
4: different from LA. I wake up every morning. I'm like, what's that I hear? Oh, nothing. Well, actually it's my daughter screaming, but besides that (laughs) it's nothing, you know, it's just quiet. Like it's, it's so weird how you almost didn't notice how loud it was until you're out of it
3: oh we noticed and i mean with with her i mean one of the big big things too with her she gets a lot of packages so many packages delivered to the door so in la i was constantly on high alert with like who's like who's coming up to the door why are they in the lawn what's going on like people were constantly coming up to the door and then and now we have we have about a mile long driveway all the way to our house so nobody's coming on our property nobody it's just very peaceful.
2: Taking out the trash, picking up packages. We take a pickup truck to drive all the way down to the front gate. The sunsets are beautiful.
3: You guys really need to come out.
2: We want to come out with Zaza.
4: I personally recommend that everyone who's listening follow you both on Instagram. Nate, your story is wild. Rami, you have beautiful content. Like, I love your content. Your reels, everything. I feel like you guys need to come back since there's so much more to talk about we we only got to sort of nick the surface you
1: come back after nate does the routine for you no i want to see the routine me and you are doing the yeah you teach me the routine i'll do it for lauren (laughs) you do it for her
4: i want you to do a cartwheel naked tonight
1: oh listen i need a little (laughs) practice first you know right now it's not gonna it's not gonna go how you imagine
4: couple things do you want to do a giveaway for homebodies yeah let's do it okay how many do you want to give away to put you guys right on the spot 10 memberships. Wow, that's more than enough. Okay, so what you guys have to do is follow each of them on Instagram. Say your handles. At R-R-A-Y-Y-M-E.
3: Nates underscore beard.
4: Okay, and then let us know your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram, at Lauren Bostick. You guys know their handles. Where can they find the Homebody
2: app to work out with you? Pimp yourselves out. You could find Homebodies at clubhomebodies and teamhomebodies.com.
4: And they have this merch that is so cute. Michael's wearing it. I got it now. It's really well branded. It's plush. It's buttery. It's amazing. And next time Nate's on, he's going to wear the merch and strip for us. Yes, That was an amazing podcast. Thank you guys both so much for coming on. Yeah,
0: Thank
2: you both for coming. Thank to you so on. much
0: do you want to win a bookmark? It is the cutest bookmark. It says, get the fuck out of the sun for your copy of the book. All you have to do is tell us your favorite part, the most impactful part of this episode on my latest post at Lauren Bostic, and we will slide into your inbox and send a bunch of you bookmarks. So fun. With that, we'll see you next time.